So I told George last Sunday that we were going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 because Jim had said something about Hebrews 12 in the sermon. No, we are not looking at Hebrews chapter 12. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 13. And I actually would like to read verses 1 through 18 just to set the context, but we're going to be concentrating on verse 17. The writer of Hebrews is almost done with the book. And he has throughout the book been convincing his readers that Christ is better. Because they were in danger of going back. Going back to Judaism, etc. But Christ is better. I once diagrammed the first I think it's uh, seven verses of Hebrews chapter 1 and realized that that's all one sentence. Pretty fascinating because when you start diagramming you have to have a subject and a predicate and perhaps an object. But when you look at all of these things God who, now of course I memorized in the King James years ago, God who had sundry times and diverse manners, spoke in times past by his prophets, etc. But what it boils down to is God has spoken. God has spoken. And modifying that is God has spoken in his son. Yes, he used the prophets, etc. We come to chapter 13, and we don't have a long sentence. We have a bunch of short ones, kind of like we were looking at in, in Romans 12 last night. So I'd like to read a, a lot of those sentences and then get to verse 17. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to, to, to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those, who, those devoted them to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I'd like to do a little exercise here. I just read verse 17 from the English Standard Version. Does someone besides my wife, because otherwise I'm going to call on her, have the NIV? All right, Luann, you're up. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. How about New American Standard? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I doubt anyone has the New Living Translation or the New English Translation. So I will read what those versions say about this verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not with complaints, for this would be no advantage for you. And finally, the New Living Translation, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Did every one of those translations just tell us, obey your leaders and submit to them? That's what it and yet every one of those translations isn't quite right. It's kind of interesting that the New Testament is probably filled with more instruction for elders than the verse we just read, which is directed at the average person in the pew. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathered the elders together, and there's a whole chapter talking about his last words to them. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, these are frightening words. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that's just one section of that chapter where Paul is addressing elders in the Ephesian church. Sometime back we were looking at 1 Peter. And 1 Peter chapter 5 says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And to Timothy, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And then he gives some words of warning. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So, someone doesn't like the pastor, and they accuse him of some action. Timothy was told, don't even receive that accusation unless there are two or three who bring the accusation. And if an elder is guilty, then make sure everyone knows it. This is not something that you can just hide and cover up and put away in secret. Because people must have confidence in their pastors. I spent quite a bit of time not only doing my normal practice of looking at various commentators, looking at the Greek words and so on, but also looking at what other people have written about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I think I was telling Mike or someone about this. There was a fellow who was some kind of a leader in the Church of Christ denomination, and he wrote an article about this verse. And apparently in the Church of Christ denomination, this verse is used as a club. The, the elders will say, obey them to have the rule over you. So do not criticize, do not think for yourself, do what the elders say. That is far from what our writer is telling us. And yet, one of the other people that I was reading was John Piper, who actually wrote an article about this in 1997. And I don't know what was going on in 1997. There probably was some major scandal with televangelists or somebody. But he spends a great deal of time saying, yeah, yeah, elders can be fallible. And then he gives a whole page of how Bethlehem Baptist Church, of which he was the pastor, safeguards against something going on with their elders. And he talked about their church constitution. He talked about the rule that two-thirds of their elders must be lay people, and the others can be vocational. Those who are lay people are allowed to serve only two terms, and then they have to step down for a year because they can be put back. You know, the, the rules just went on and on and on. And I guess I sort of understand why people do that. <clears throat> I've seen it happen with deacons in many denominations where deacons only get to serve a couple of terms and then they have to step down. Whereas I don't see any indication in the New Testament that if someone is ordained a deacon, that is not a permanent thing. Which is why it is highly important that we only ordain a person that is going to remain permanently serving. But John Piper talks about two phrases 
in the verse. Well, let me begin with something he said first. He said, I said to a group of pastors gathered on Wednesday that I was not especially eager to preach on this phrase. That's obey them that have the rule over you. There are cultural reasons and biblical reasons that make it difficult. Culturally, the defining spirit in America today is self-determination, not submission to the will of another. The ultimate value in America is the unencumbered self. Anything that enhances my individual liberty to do as I please is good, and anything that encumbers me and limits my ability to do as I please is bad. Self is king, and autonomy is the highest law. That makes this text culturally outrageous. Obey your leaders and submit to them. There's some truth to that statement. When I was in college, I had a couple of classes where ecclesiology was discussed. Um, One was uh, Theology 4, where ecclesiology was one of the themes, and that's the doctrine of the church. And then I took another class called Baptist Foundations that not only talked about Baptist history, but what makes a Baptist a Baptist. And Baptists believe in the priesthood of all believers, scriptural doctrine. They believe in individual soul liberty, also a scriptural doctrine. But marrying that to the way Americans are in general, that's the reason there are so many brands of Baptists out there. I don't like what the pastor does. I'm going to go over and I'm going to start my own church. We're going to do things the right way. And so John Piper was fearful of preaching on this text. And I am glad that I can speak on it in Jim's absence. Because I think we need to hear what our responsibility is. So he talks about the aim of leadership. One is, that would be unprofitable for you. In other words, if you cause them to rule in grief and not in joy, that's not going to be profitable. And the other is, they keep watch over your souls. Now he expands upon the meaning of those two phrases. It says, so I conclude that the aim of leadership in this verse is the profit or the benefit of the people. The leadership and the response to the leadership should not be unprofitable for you, but rather profitable for you. That's the aim, the benefit or profit of the people. And then he talks about it, what it means that they are watching or staying on the alert. They're going without sleep, literally, on behalf of your souls. Why do they do that? Because they're on guard. Now he goes on to talk about the means of leadership, and one of those means, of course, is watchfulness. And he spends a fair amount of time talking about what it means to be watchful. But he talks about them watching you for four things that I don't find in these verses. They are certainly true things, but they are supposed to watch the Word of God, which we can find back in verse 7. Because there, our writer says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And there are some who think this is talking yet another spot about those who are living leaders. And I suspect it has to do with those who are no longer with us. What was the outcome of their life? 
they spoke to you the word of God and imitate their faith. Now we have a whole lot of heroes of the faith that we can imitate in the last 2,000 years because Jesus Christ hasn't changed. And so they watch the word of God. They watch Christ. They watch their conduct and they watch the people. Now the only one that we find in this verse is watching the people. They watch over your souls. And so leaders are to be vigilant, to be biblical, Christ-centered, morally exemplary, and caring for the people. They're watchful. That's the first means of leadership. Now then he goes off on a tangent. I have no idea how he came up with this where he said that in our verse we read, Let them do this with joy, as if that's a responsibility of your leaders, to be joyful no matter what's going on. And I don't buy that at all. I think he is talking to us. He is saying, let them do what they do with joy and not with groaning, with pressure, being squeezed. We've all known that person who had roast preacher every Sunday after the service. (laughs) And no matter what the pastor did, it wasn't good enough. That's a significant issue. And that's not to say that our pastor doesn't on occasion make mistakes. Last Sunday, for example, I was watching just to see if he'd give me an example Back in Genesis, he used the word Abraham where the word was Abram because Abraham's name hadn't yet been changed. Wow, that's a terrible error that he misspoke in that way, don't you think? All of us knew what he meant. And he did just misspeak. That's all it was. There was another occasion, and this one one told me what kind of a man Jim McClarty is. I was sitting there with my Greek New Testament open, and he was preaching, I think it was in, in 2 Corinthians, and he mentioned that in verse word, there was, the verse 1 of that chapter, there was a particular Greek word that was used. And it wasn't that Greek word. Now the same word, the, the word he mentioned was found three times later on in that chapter, but that verse didn't have that Greek word. So when the service was over, I... You know, it's not like a mistake. No, no, wrong pastor. When the service was over, I said, you do know that that verse 1 did not have that word. Why didn't you say something? Well, because I don't typically jump up and interrupt a sermon to point out an error. The very next Sunday, he rectified that error and said, I misspoke. And then he told us all, if you see an error... Speak up and let me know. Now, why did he say that? He said it to me. Why is that important? Because he wishes to handle the word accurately and carefully. Wow. It wasn't a big deal. The meaning of the sermon didn't change. And as I said, Paul used the same word three times later on in the chapter, so... He just happened to choose a synonym in the first verse. 
And the application was correct. But he wanted to be right. I really appreciate that. And by the way, it hasn't happened since, so I'm thankful I haven't had to raise my hand. No, that's not the right word. <laughs> He's very careful to be accurate. And so when John Piper says pastors ought to be joyful, that's their responsibility no matter what is going on. No, the responsibility is ours. Because we are the ones who can cause them joy, or we are the ones who can cause them <coughs> groaning. Again, the word has to do with pressure. Being pressed so that there's pain. And he says, doing that, causing that groaning would be of no advantage to you. And so there's the third means of leadership, and that's seriousness or watchfulness. We find it there in the middle of the verse. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Wow. Everybody wants to step up and be a pastor now? <laughs> That's a grave responsibility. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that John Piper says, This means that when the elders of Bethlehem, his church, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he is going to say something like, What did you do to preserve the faith and obedience of the members of Bethlehem? What did you teach? How did you live? What steps did you take in the case of the disobedient, the rebellious, the suffering, the grieving, the perplexed, the lonely, the aged, the teenagers, the children? And we will have to give an account. Now let me just state that every one of those things is the responsibility of each of us. The pastors have a particular responsibility. And so we come then to the response to leadership, and this is where I've been heading all this time. What then does obey your leaders and submit to them mean? The word for obey is a very broad word and is only translated obey twice in the New Testament, here and in the book of James. In fact, it's often translated even by King Agrippa as Paul was speaking to Agrippa. What did Agrippa say? You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Same word. So this means be persuaded by your leaders. When you trust someone, then you tend to be persuaded. Now then it talks about Submitting. This is the only place in the New Testament this particular word is used. And I thought it was interesting looking at what the word means. So, looking at the definition, it comes from two words that come together, meaning to yield or to surrender. And it's sometimes used in other places to mean to give up my seat for someone else. What does that mean for us? I doubt 
that there's anyone in this room or anyone in our internet congregation who agrees with our pastor on every point. But those things on which I disagree, other than the examples I mentioned already, just by way of illustration, you're not going to hear from me. My wife and I may talk about it, but you're not going to hear me teach or comment on it. And why is that? Because God put him here. Erica mentioned earlier she thought that the hymns that we we sing on Sundays are random. They're not. They're picked specifically to go with his subject for the day. Sometimes you can't tell that. Sometimes it's just, let's do a song of praise. And I've seen him sit at the piano and say, hey, what chorus should we sing today? Let's do this one. Because we need to offer praise to God. That's a command in our worship services that we're supposed to praise the God we worship. But the hymns are designed to go with the subject of the... That was very evident on Sunday. Everything had to do with faith, right? And then he spent a lot of time talking about faith. Now, if the pastor says he doesn't want us hanging any hooks on the walls of our newly remodeled and painted building, and I want to hang a picture up there, I think we ought to have a hook right there where we can hang the clipboard for men to put their name down for scripture reading. Uh Uh-uh. He's already spoken. That subject is closed. I'm pretty sure that Tom agrees with him on that. And I'm not going to fight Tom either. That's one of those things that's inconsequential. And most things are inconsequential. Those areas in which we disagree are largely matters of very little importance in the life of this church. Now, I talked about studies in ecclesiology, and there are so many different forms of church government. John Piper's Bethlehem Baptist Church, and I'm sure the seminary that that he was the chancellor of for many years, uh, I'm sure they teach similar things. They have a constitution. They have a a set of rules that they have for elders. They have things, they have a covenant that people who join the church must agree to. Most Baptist churches, I've seen Baptist churches that have a church covenant glued in the back of the hymnal. And every communion Sunday, everybody stands up and reads that church covenant as if it was the word of God. And that's a shame. So, Tom, can I get a copy of the Constitution of this church? (laughs) We don't have a Constitution. I think we do. I think it's right here. There are things that are important for us to remember. We have responsibilities. As a matter of fact, last night in men's group, we were talking about a whole bunch of them. And, and we made the comment repeatedly, it's not the things that are hard to understand in the scriptures. It's the things that are easy to understand that we have trouble with. There were things that, that were noted in Romans chapter 12. Where I can say, well, 
I remember the last time I failed in that one. And I remember the last time I failed in that one. I'm just not doing very well in this list. And it had nothing to do with the church covenant that said don't you know, abstain from the sale and use of, of alcohol as a beverage. <sighs> Those kinds of things don't matter. And Jim's talked about some of those things. I mean, I remember one when I was a teenager. Mixed bathing. That means boys and girls don't share the swimming pool at the same time. Because, you know, you can't trust teenage boys around those girls in bathing suits. It was a rule. I would have a hard time finding a proof text. They did. And I saw some bathing suits that even at a Christian camp were not particularly modest. But adding rules to the Bible is always, always dangerous. And so we don't do that. But if there is something that the pastor thinks is a bad idea for whatever reason, then I'm going to have to pay attention to that. It is my responsibility to respond to leadership. All of the words that we find here in verse 17 are really soft words. Not obey as in what he lays down the law, you just, you know, when he says jump, you ask how high on the way up. No, it's be persuaded. Submit. Be willing to give up your seat. In other words, a church should have a bent toward trusting its leaders. And I would contend that because the word elder is not used in this chapter, it's not just pastors. We have two different offices represented in our body. And so the deacons have a responsibility. Believe it or not, that same responsibility... To be watchful, to give an account. And by the way, that word that is translated leaders in verse 7 and verse 17, and by the way, in verse 24, where the writer says, greet all your leaders, same Greek word in all cases, but it's rarely translated that way elsewhere, along the same lines. It does have the idea of authority, and sometimes it actually is used of, for example, Joseph being made the governor of Egypt. Now, do you think he didn't say, snap to it, on occasion? But I think Joseph was the kind of man who led rather than ruled. Servant leadership always works better than demanding obeisance. George mentioned when I was talking with him last Sunday that in you know discussing this particular subject of a church of which he had heard of a young woman who was castigated repeatedly from the pulpit. You need to obey. You need to obey those who have the rule over you. As it turned out, that pastor was sexually abusing this girl. And so he was demanding obedience to something that was outside, entirely outside of the will of God. 
and misusing scripture to accomplish his lustful goals. There are plenty of other pastors who do the same thing, and maybe not to that extent, but because they're looking for people to obey them without question. You know, give the money. We need it. We're going to do three offerings today. We're going to give until we get as much money as we need. Know a church like that? Yeah. And right over there is a box. I see people put checks and envelopes into it. I don't watch everybody. So I'm not looking to see if you put something in every Sunday. But it's there for those who wish to give. And all I know about our finances is that that apparently we're doing okay. And we're having enough money that we can send it to an orphanage in India. We're able to take care of some things that needed upgrading around here. That's not because our pastor said, give till it hurts. He doesn't say, I need a raise, so you need to give more. A bent toward trusting, a disposition to support, a wanting to imitate, an inclination to comply. Not because he's insisting, but because what he presents to us is the word of God. And there's our authority. Again, I think John Piper kind of misses the point when he closes his article saying, what these phrases are meant to do is capture both sides of the biblical truth, namely that elders are fallible and should not lord it over the flock, and two, the flock should follow good leadership. Well, you know, Peter tells that they, tells his elders shouldn't lord it over the flock, but that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's just reminding us that we're supposed to follow good leadership. We have leaders that are placed here in this congregation by God. And I promise you that I have no dog in this hunt. I'm not seeking to be an elder. I'm not seeking to be a deacon. I have been a deacon for quite a few years. If I were offered the office right now, I would say no. I do not believe that's what God wants me to do right now. But we have some and one who will be ordained, God willing, this Sunday to that office. And he's young enough to be my son. Tom's not. (laughs) But Micah is young enough to be my son. So what does that mean? I'm just going to disregard what he says because he's such a callow youth. No, it means he's a leader in this church. And as Jim said a few weeks ago, he's being ordained because he's already been doing the work, right? Amen. And we're just recognizing what God has called him to do and to be. And that means, I guess, that he gets to preach at homecoming. You know, every one of those translations said, obey your leaders and submit to them. And I don't really like that translation in any of those cases. Because it's a lot softer than that. It sounds so hard and firm 
and so easily abused when the writer of Hebrews is actually saying, comply, because they're keeping watch over your souls and they do it so that will be beneficial for you. It'll be profitable for you. It'll cause no loss, literally. And therefore, because God has graced us and he has literally graced us with officers in this church, it's our responsibility to follow those leaders, to consider what they say. I enjoy Micah's preparation for men's group. He does a whole lot more work than I do. And occasionally Tom gets the chance to put a word in because <laughs> usually people are talking over him. But occasionally Tom gets the chance to put a word in and makes good comments that are beneficial to us. And Tom gets to preach from time to time. Um, you're speaking... Speaking two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. So we have the benefit of Tom and Micah, and then we have other people who come in and, and full, fulfill the, the, the uh, needs of the ministry on occasion. But do you feel like we're shortchanged when Jim isn't here? Well, sometimes. <laughs> Jim is a really smart guy. And when he comes, he, he is prepared. Big shoes. Yeah, big shoes to fill. I, I was talking to my previous pastor some weeks ago. And he said, you know, I don't disagree. I don't agree with everything that Jim says. But if I'm going to disagree with him, I better bring my A game. <laughs> and I have found that to be the case. We are blessed. And so are the people who benefit from hearing him on the Internet. Because for whatever reason, they're lacking it wherever they are around the world. God blesses our small group of people here in Smyrna. And God blesses... How many people are on the uh, GCA Facebook page? 500 some? I don't know. It's a lot. And I don't know how many of those people actually listen to the sermons, but... Uh, we keep having visitors come in and say, hey, I discovered the website and I, I listened to all of these sermons and I decided I'd need to come visit. Uh, we're on our way back from Alabama to Virginia. We're on our way from Texas, we're, you know, wherever. We wanted to come by here. I might have been way out of the way, but they wanted to come by here because they've been blessed by his preaching. We all are blessed by his preaching. And he is the one who watches over our souls. He is the one who must give an account. Those two things we must remember for all of our leaders. We must not forget it. Micah said something last night when we were talking about people who leave a fellowship because they got bad at the pastor. They're thinking they can do it on their own. Some of them even listen to Jim on the internet and then they don't go to church anywhere. Well, why do people leave this body? Do they do it because the pastor said something they disagreed with and they go off in a snit? Maybe. 
there are some people who just have a very long drive. And it's hard for them to make it to this place. And then there are others who just can't agree with him in what he teaches. And they're not going to stay with us. And then there are others who may say, eh, I may not quite agree with your exegesis there. I may have a problem with your application. Or, I saw this meme on Facebook. You hit me where it hurts and you're a stupid head. <laughs> there was a pie chart and the biggest section was, I disagree with what you said because you hit me where it hurts and you're a stupid head. God has blessed us and therefore we have a responsibility to comply with the ones who persuade us because they persuade us from the word of God, because they watch over our souls, because they must give an account. And that's it. That's a pretty grave responsibility for us too. Don't you think? I have spoken on this text, I think, in every church I have been at as an adult. And every time I do, I find out that the last time I preached on this text, I missed a whole lot. The same thing was true this time. I'm glad I didn't just pull the sermon out of the file and say, I'm ready to go. No. I find out that other people look at this and they are reacting to abuse from their pastors. And then there are other ones who are afraid to ask for obedience because of the way people react. And I say, we're not given an option here. This is the word of God. And there we are.